Ohio State survives, which begs the question, is it really as simple as survive and advance, or was the Northwestern game this week's sign that the apocalypse is upon us? We'll hash it out and welcome on the scheme master himself, Kyle Jones, a little bit later in the program to answer the question on this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance alongside Johnny Ginner, as always. Johnny, let's get right down to the brass tacks. Ohio State now one of, I think, four teams undefeated in college football. Uh, it was a good day to have a bad game when half the top six lost. Yeah. Ohio State sure didn't look like world beaters playing in a biblical windstorm on the lake, the shores of Lake Michigan. Any good to take out of this game aside from just the fact that they won? No, no, I no. It, it was fine. I mean, the thing is, is that yes, there are definitely some criticisms to be had, and and. You know, maybe some of those are overblown. Maybe some of those are just in the heat of the moment. You're like, all right, yeah, this team looks looks kind of soft. And I, I hate that. I generally really hate that when people try to cast aspersions on 330-pound, six-foot-five guys who, like, ram into other dudes for a living. You know what I mean? Like, they just, like, hit other guys for a living. That Generally, it's hard to call someone like that soft. However, uh, the only real concerns that I have, I think, with this game and, and how it went – are really kind of confined to Ohio State's running game and an inability to convert on like third and short. Everything else I'm willing to forgive or ignore, especially, I mean, the passing game, forget about it. I mean, there is no no possible way anybody could be accurate with what was going on. I don't care who you were. I mean, it just, I understand having a bad game in those conditions. It was just, there's no possible way that you were going to have a normal Ohio State passing offense. The problem is, is that, not being able to adapt to that and then seeing a, you know, a one in seven team seemingly do better at adapting to that than, you know, Ohio state did for most of the game. That's frustrating. And that's, that's, that's something that has to be addressed. And, you know, you said it was a good uh, weekend to have a, a bad game and that's absolutely true. However, your biggest measuring stick, Michigan had a really bad first half against Rutgers and then they came out and just absolutely whooped their butts in the second half. So you've, I don't know. I, I still think Ohio state, I mean, basically from here on out is shadow boxing against the Wolverines and you've got to every week um, maybe show that you're, you're getting better against that metric. Now, here's the thing I'll say about that, because I think it's an interesting question that we'll want to spend some more time on. Michigan has been pretty poor in the first half of several games. Ohio been, State almost has, all their games. Yeah. yeah. Ohio State has been slow to start in quite a few of their games, particularly after the bye week here. It seems mm -hmm. like the first half has been forgettable in just about every game. And yet the Buckeyes have been able to turn it on and pour on the points really late in the game. Are are these two teams kind of mirror images of one another you've got one that's this like tough smash mouth run it down your throat kind of team but slow in the first half get it together in the second on the mm -hmm. other side of the coin you've got this team that is just going to annihilate you through the air best wide receivers in the country uh but you know maybe also slow to start i it's just really interesting to see how there's this glaring similarity between the two teams of not being able to kind of get out of their own way in the first half of ball games. No, I think that's an interesting comparison. I don't think it's like completely off base. I mean, obviously Ohio state pass first team and, and, you know, Michigan is definitely the opposite of that. Uh, but you're right. I, I think in a lot of ways, they, um, I, I think what is interesting about both of those teams is that 
they want to dictate the pace of the game under very specific conditions. And if they don't get those conditions, I think they flounder a little bit. Now, I, I think both teams are really good in general at coming out of the half and making adjustments. And, uh, you know, Michigan, you obviously saw that against Rutgers, although they were the beneficiary of Rutgers really just kind of just, you know, shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly in the third quarter. I mean, Michigan got three uh, interceptions off of uh, off of uh, Rutgers quarterback, and, and one of them was a, uh, a pick six. And that really is what ended up blowing up the game. And not and not honestly, I mean, we can go into Michigan, you know, later on, but I, I do think it's important to point out that as much as I will be critical of Ohio State in general, just in the past couple of games for not really being able to incorporate the running game um, into their offense, I think as seamlessly as we would like. Um, Michigan definitely is a lopsided offensive team. Like they, they have to run the ball and if they don't run the ball, they just either don't trust or don't believe that, uh, McCarthy is, is the dude, uh, especially on deep throws. Cause they just, they don't trust the guy to go deep at all. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to kind of see these teams evolve next to each other. And I don't know. I think if you're looking at the rest of the games in November, you know, Ohio state's got, I think better opportunities to redeem themselves and maybe right the ship a little bit. And Michigan's going to be tested, I think in the next few weeks in some interesting ways um, and, and kind of have to prove themselves, um, you know, before November 26. A couple of things that I, I think are really interesting coming out of this game is, you know, Ohio state wins by multiple scores. Sure. The defense holds Northwestern to a single touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, if this was the trestle bar era, we would have said this was a huge, great victory, right? Like the fact, I, I feel like in some cases, some of the angst <laughs> over Ohio State, no, no, listen, I mean, I think some of the angst over Ohio State, this game in particular, stems from the fact that we've gotten used to 40 plus point games as sort of the default setting. Yeah. I look at Georgia, Tennessee. Now, nobody's confusing Northwestern for Tennessee. Don't misread what I'm saying. <laughs> but I look at Georgia, Tennessee. Georgia just stopped scoring after halftime. Yeah. I, I mean, they did nothing after Yeah, the Both half. teams basically just played to a push in the second. And they're like, we're done. That's fine. It's, but, but nobody's freaking out about, you know, the fact that Georgia didn't score 50 points against Tennessee. Sure. They, could, they could have. They're, you know, they could have. Tennessee's not a great defense. So I, you know, I, I think some of Ohio state's criticism stem from one, the expectations, the program has built for itself, but two, right back to that shadow boxing with, with Michigan, people feel like, oh my God, you know, in the same conditions, Michigan would have put 50 points on Northwestern. The second thing I take from this is, you know, I think it's really easy to be dismissive of weather as, um, uh, you know, an excuse. Mm -hmm. But in talking to our guys who were there on the field covering the game, I, I, is, is it hard to underplay how bad it was in Chicago that day? Yeah, it was. Well, it was really crazy. And like I said, as far as the passing game goes, you know, I don't think anyone's going to take that into consideration when you're looking at like CJ Stroud's Heisman hopes. And in fact, I think right now he's basically back to being the favorite after, uh, you know, Tennessee lost to Georgia. Um, and that's and the, fair. I and mean, the hooker no longer the flavor of the week in other words. No. And, and that's, you know, and that's fair because hooker had a, you know, a situation where he, he had the opportunity to wrap that thing up. If they go out and he throws for 500 yards or whatever, um, you know, that's, I think that's that, 
but um, he didn't. And I think people will forgive CJ Stroud because of the conditions. The thing is though, and, and I think this is part of what causes a lot of the angst when you see this kind of stuff. I mean, Northwestern outgained Ohio state. That's, I don't care what the situation is. Both teams have mm-hmm. to play in, in the weather, right? So you don't yeah. want to see it. You don't want to see that happen. But the other thing is, is that I think people see uh, a weak. I mean, Alabama's not even in the picture anymore. You see a weak Clemson team, right? That gets that gets beat by Notre Dame. Although I think they're still kind of technically still in this thing. The real, the only real competition Ohio State has, if you're thinking about the national championship is basically the likes of Georgia and Michigan. And I think both of those teams are beatable. Both of those teams are teams that Ohio State, honestly, under the right conditions, could crush. So because of that, I I think that's what's causing fans to get a little anxious because they understand how wide open the national championship race is. And they're going, all right, if Ohio State, the defense is fixed. I mean, I think at this point we can pretty much say, all right, like – it's not the best defense in the country. It's pretty freaking good. It's good enough to win a national championship. If you have a consistent running game, it doesn't have to be great, but like consistent, you know, and get those third and shorted short yardage uh, situations for t- for first downs. And then you continue doing what you do in the passing game. I mean, Ohio state's a prohibitive favorite for a national championship. So when you're that close, right. When you're, when you know, you have that within you as a team, you, you want to see that on a week to week basis because when you don't see that, that's when you start to get a little antsy and go, okay, that might be a missed opportunity. So I, I, they're so close. They're so freaking close. And when you see a game like this, you're like, oh, man, maybe they're not that close. And that's, I think, what causes that anxiety. Ohio State uh, finishing as number two in the AP Top 25 and USA Today coaches polls this week. We'll kind of wait here and see what the college football playoff committee uh says to this but but it does uh i think there are probably a lot of people who are maybe still victims of the cooper era ptsd like oh, you and sure. I, yeah. who who look and said oh god michigan was probably going to leapfrog ohio state in the polls this week because they did have more of a quote-unquote dominant or commanding victory over rutgers than ohio state did over a a one and eight northwestern uh but we'll you know continue to watch and hopefully keep our our angst to a bare minimum i want to welcome in our guest for the show the legendary kyle jones the man who's forgotten more about x's and o's than i'll ever know dr jones thanks for joining us uh you know and again it's great to have you back after a win although this will be somewhat of a post-mortem i i i just felt like we had to get you on here to answer the burning question on the minds of of readers of 11warriors.com and everyone out there in Buckeye fandom. After watching this game in your own backyard here Saturday, is the sky falling for the Ohio State University football program? Well, hello, guys. Good to be back. Good to uh, chat yet again. Um, <laughs> slightly different than the last, slightly different tone than the last time <laughs> we spoke. Yeah. Um, um, so I think it's a good question. I don't think that the sky is falling. I'm not at that level of alarm, but there are reasons for concern. Um, And again, the level of concern is relatively minimal and we can definitely get into it. But yeah, we are at the point where it's time to start asking some questions uh, about certain aspects, Uh, specifically the, you know, the running game. I think we saw the Iowa game shortly after the last time we spoke a few weeks ago and, Look, Iowa's got a really a really good run defense, a really physical run D. Great. You know what? A lot of teams struggle to run the ball against them. Ohio State eventually 
broke through, got the win. Great. Then you go to Penn State. Penn State, who gave up a ton of rushing yards to Michigan, but, you know, they've got the benefit of the home field. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed in that game that I was, you know, keeping tabs on this past weekend was it seemed like Ohio State wasn't getting off the ball, especially the tackles. And that happens when you're in a loud environment and they have to use that silent snap count. You know, I think both Day and Stroud talked about it after the fact. I think even Kevin Wilson even, you know, talked about in his press conference where they haven't used it much. Just even as a team, they haven't had to use it much. They don't play in a lot of environments that can compare to Penn State. And, you know, when you're using a silent snap count, you don't get that same jump off the ball. In fact, the defensive line can see the ball better than you can as an offensive lineman. You're actually forced to react on movement. So the defensive line has has an advantage. So, you know, if Ohio State got pushed around a little bit in that game, which at times they struggle to move to move the line of scrimmage, okay, you can explain it. How do you explain what happened this past weekend? And that's where we start to to get really and and start to pick nits and, and start to wonder because yes, the passing game was non-existent and that changes how teams have to defend you. Pat Fitzgerald admitted as much right after the game. You know, he was proud of his defense. He complimented his defense, but even called out the fact that his past defense was helped mightily by the fact that it was, you know, crazy wind gusts. And, you know, I've told this to a couple people. I live in Chicago. You mentioned it's my backyard. Um, I live right in the city, you know, about 10 miles from Ryan Field. Uh, my next door neighbor had a tree get blown out of the ground on Saturday. <laughs> we had two tornado warnings earlier this year that did not affect that tree. <laughs> but, but the wind was so bad on Saturday that it yanked that tree out of the ground. Um, so it was the wind a factor. Sure it was. But there were some elements, and we, let's get into you know, some of the specifics of what I'm talking about as to why, you know, there are, there are reasons to, to be concerned about what this, this offense can do when they're running the ball. So my biggest thing is just predictability that, that I don't care if, you know, hat on hat or then maybe, you know, it's one of those things where the defensive line is just playing out of their minds and, you know, high state's offensive line isn't getting the same push. I mean, those are things that I think, you know, on a long enough timeline, Ohio State's offensive line is going to win those battles in general. What I am bothered by is when I read things like, oh, well, if this tight end lines up here, it's always a run to his side. That's That feels like something that should have been caught or like, I don't know. It, to me, that seems fairly obvious. It, when you're when you're scheming or drawing up plays, like you shouldn't have a tell that easy to figure out. Am, am I crazy, or is it just like a lack of creativity um, on the uh, the rushing side of the ball in terms of play calling? So it's a great it's a great point, especially after we saw in Penn State. I'm actually going to to disagree here in this okay. just in, in the sense that the run game, the diversity in run game that we saw this past Saturday compared to what we saw at Penn state night and day. Now, are they running a lot of outside zone? Yes, they are. Should they be running it as much? I don't think so. I think there, this is, you know, again, getting into the semantics, but you know, there, the idea of a horizontal run game where the, the offensive line is literally moving backwards as their first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not going to get a good push. And you know, our good friend, Bill Rabinowitz is, doing his you know weekly live tweet and going look the, the line didn't get a push well they're stepping backwards bill like what do you what do you expect like 
That's how this play works. And I know he knows that, but like, come on. Um, But I actually thought that they, they showed a lot more. They did a lot more to to use different personnel. Um, You know, I thought they were a lot more creative in terms of where they put Mitch Rossi. Um, We saw a lot more looks from the under center. Certainly. I think we saw more under center creativity from a, a personnel and formation standpoint than we've maybe ever seen. Um, since Dave's been calling plays. And so that, you know, really means going back to the trestle era of under center. And I think that was great. That was a good effort. The issue to me was not the plays that were called. It was how they were executed. And I think specifically there's a, there's a big concern at the guard position. Um, and, you know, before I got on the phone with you guys, my wife asked me, what are you guys going to talk about? And I said, you know, it could be a lot of guard play discussion if you want to join the conversation. And she you know, nodded politely and declined. Um, so, you know, for all, the, all the folks that have been waiting, yeah, let's get in the weeds and talk about it. Like this is, this is the time. It's the least sexy thing in the world, man. But it's as simple as Ohio State's guards are not athletic enough to get to the second level. You can watch 55 and 74 chasing and falling and not engaging fully. They're not blocking linebackers. They're just not getting there. And a lot of that does have to do with plays that are being called, which I don't think that they're capable of, of executing. So these outside zone plays where, you know, again, getting in the weeds, there's a lot of times where if there's a defender in between two blockers, the, you know, play side blocker is going to step and leave that defender. And now the backside gut blocker basically has to cross the face of the defender and, and really work hard to win that battle. And that's a, that's asking a lot, um, especially when, that defender is a linebacker who's much faster and he's four yards downfield. Mm -hmm. And that's just not setting these guys up for success. It seems like they do much better when they're blocking inside zone. Right. So instead of taking that lateral step and stepping literally backwards, they're stepping forward. These are huge, huge humans that are bigger than pretty much any other team in the country. I mean, this is an offensive line that literally features the largest person in college football this year. And they're asking him to run sideways, like go move bodies, man. You know, that's, this is when this team has played its best, which is when they're, they're going North and South, which is how the backs work. And, and so I think you've got this combination of one, the personnel doesn't seem to fit the scheme. And, and, you know, anybody who remembers zone blocking, if you're over a certain age, and I think you guys probably remember this back when John Elway and the Denver Broncos and Mike Shanahan introduces that run, you know, the zone scheme and it becomes famous and they've got Terrell Davis and, you know, everybody else is running for a thousand yards. You know, the thing, the secret to it was, oh, they've got really athletic offensive linemen. Okay. That's not the word I would use to describe Ohio state's guards. (laughs) (laughs) They are huge humans. And look, Matt Jones, he's had an injury and he hasn't looked the same the last month ever since he got, dinged up and I, I can't remember which game it was. Um, but he's looked slow. He's struggled to maintain blocks. Donovan Jackson's a tackle who's playing out of position. He looks like a guy who's playing guard for the first time. And, you know, I think Whipler has been really solid. Paris Johnson, Dewan have been really solid when they're asked to do the things that they're good at, uh, which is move north south, which is pass block. Um, I, I think they're just there's a little bit of scheme thing, but more importantly, the issue to me is there's just some executional issues here. Um, you know, you're seeing a lot of hands on the outside. 
And so this is a really technical thing, I know, but it's actually really simple. Inside man wins, right? And what you're seeing a ton of, if you watch the replays against Northwestern, you're seeing Northwestern defenders attack the blocker and their hands are inside. They're making contact first, which means they've got better leverage and their hands are inside. So again, they can move the blocker more easily. They're winning those little individual battles. It doesn't matter that you've got 50, 60 pounds on me. Mm-hmm. If I'm lower and I've got, I'm making contact and I've got a hold of your shoulder pads while, you know, on the, the breastplate of your shoulder pads, while you're grasping at the outside of my arms, mm-hmm. I've won. I just won that battle and I'm moving you where I want you to go. And that's the problem is we're seeing that way too often, even with linebackers who are winning those battles. And so there's some technique stuff that can all be fixed. Some of it may be effort. You know, I know everyone's like, oh, they're too soft. It's not tough enough. And I think that's not the right language to be using here because it's not about, you know, pain tolerance or anything. It's literally about can you win that battle? Can you get those thumbs inside? Um, You know, everyone's heard about, hopefully at this point, if you're close to the program, about the difference, right? Which is this this pad that Anthony Schlegel and Bobby Carpenter sell that's literally these little, little blocking dummies that are attached to the wall. And they're the size, you know, they're about the width of a bicycle seat. And, you know, the players practice by winning. And it's, it's, they call it the difference because getting your hands inside, making that first contact is literally the difference when you're blocking and tackling. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think that's some of the stuff that we're seeing. There's some sloppiness along the offensive line. The play calling's not the best it could be, but it's, I don't really believe that's truly the crux of the issue. When you look at some of those challenges, I think you've just given us a really thorough explanation that that to me i heard things like okay uh players the, the personnel not necessarily aligned with the scheme you know in terms of that that execution component the uh, not being athletic enough to do what uh, the scheme calls for them to do but but there's also now this this kind of teaching coaching component so you know has this a, is this a set of things that can be fixed quote unquote or or at least improved to such a degree in the next three weeks that uh, I don't need to lose sleep over how Ohio state's going to get pushed around on the the field by the Michigan defensive line. Or is this a project that, you know, is ultimately going to have to be um, fixed over time through recruiting and or the, the coaching process of, of, you know, improving technique and so on. And bonus question for that is Justin Fry, the guy to get that done. So I'm not losing sleep over it. And the answer, it's because the answers are right there. Like I said, they've gotten, they're, they're most effective when they're running inside zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think inside zone, the reason you they haven't run it as much is when you're going north-south much more, then you get into this whole, you know, hey, you got to hold the backside end. And, you know, is the quarterback willing to run? Are they going to run? And I think we finally broke the glass in case of emergency in terms of allowing CJ to get hit. Right. I, I don't think it was a capability issue. It was a fear of exposing him to too many hits as a runner. And, you know, last week it was clear. All right. We've got to run more inside zone. The best way to run inside zone is to hold the backside end with something. Um, you know, the other way you can do that without exposing CJ is by using more RPOs, which they just haven't done a ton of, but there are some easy answers. So, Whereas most people think, you know, the only way to run, you know, a zone play is if you have the quarterback 
you know, it's the old, the old classic zone read. If the quarterback just leaves the, they leave the defensive end unblocked and the quarterback reads him defensive end goes down, tries to take the running back. Just as we saw a couple times this week when CJ had a couple big runs, quarterback pulls the ball, runs outside. Very simple, right? Well, you can block that defensive end. The guy you leave unblocked is that linebacker. And now if that linebacker steps down and he's playing really aggressively against the run, you run a slant behind him and you just throw the ball. And I think the guy that they would love to be in that position is sitting on the sidelines with a bad hamstring Mm -hmm. and they are keeping him off of the field for this very reason, because they don't want to show Michigan. They don't want to you know, or show anybody, but specifically Michigan, that that's the plan, but it's a really straightforward. I mean, high school coaches that I've been talking to this week, you know, they're going, Hey, this is, this is simple. It's in the playbook. We've seen them do it. They just need to do it. So the answers are there and the personnel is there. It almost, you know, some people are saying, Oh, Dave's too stubborn or whatever. They, I think they know they can get through these next couple of weeks without having to show the whole, the whole bag. So that when they welcome the Bays and blue to town, at the end of this month, they can pull some new tricks out. I actually, I mean, that, that was going to be my next thing, which is like how much does having kind of a, a rotation of injured and not injured running backs, you know, kind of affect all of this and, and not being able to, I mean, granted, I mean, it, you know, both of these guys are talented. They know what they're doing, but they're also not a hundred percent and yep. in various ways. And I, I know that's got to impact you know, the, the, the game planning as well, because you, you know, you're not going to be able to give these guys 25 carries all the time because that's, that's, you're going to destroy them before you get to the end of November. So I, I got to believe that factors into the play calling as well. Yeah, it does. And, and to be honest with you, I, I would imagine that day and, and Wilson were probably pretty, have been pretty frustrated because whether it's a, the effect of these guys being dinged up and maybe not wanting to take as much abuse you know, both backs all of a sudden are trying to bounce everything outside. Mm-hmm. They're trying to, they're, they're, and it's happening over and over. You know, Henderson had did that a little bit last year. And, and, you know, that was, you chalk it up to, Hey, he's a home run hitter. You know, he's probably been able to bounce it outside his whole, his whole life and never been able, not been able to. So just got to break that habit. Sure. But you saw Williams always being so good at getting North South, even earlier this year against Notre Dame. He was fantastic at doing that. And yet this week we saw him constantly trying to bounce it outside. So whether that's conscious or subconscious and, you know, not wanting to take more hits, I don't know, but the reality was, and this is a bit of a scheme thing. When you know the offense isn't going to throw the ball and you're the defensive end and your defense, your job as the defensive end is to set the edge. This is the type of defense where we, we want to box them in. We don't want to let anybody box it out, you know, bounce it outside. I want to, I want to make him cut back into all the flowing linebackers and everything, which is the opposite of how Ohio State's defense currently works, to be clear, where they want to bounce it outside and, you know, put it into the hands of Ronnie Hickman, who's running up to making plays, which, again, I'd love to – let's talk about Ronnie Hickman. I can talk about him all day. But, you know, the, the difference in what Northwestern was trying to do on Saturday was just box it. We know they're not throwing it. Their defensive ends were never – you know, trying to rush the pass. So they were never going to run up field and try to break the pocket. They knew every play. My job is to win that battle, get off the line quicker than both of these tackles and just stand them up. I'm just going to try to stand up and keep Paris Johnson from moving me because I know Mayan Williams is going to try to bounce it outside. He's going to have nowhere to go. He's going to run right in the back of 77 or 79. 
And so that's where the scheme issue does come into effect. When the back just keeps trying to bounce it, quick call and plays that allow him to bounce it, make him run straight forward, run north-south. You look at the the situation with the backs, and we mentioned uh, you mentioned kind of this, this injuries dinged up, uh, JSN on the sideline still. For as good as this team is, it does feel like they've been plagued with a variety of annoying but not major injuries, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're not necessarily yeah. season enders <laughs> and, and so on. Um, it, it's just a kind of a weird situation, but how much do you think those little things, because they haven't necessarily been a focal point of the coverage of this team per se, because they haven't been, oh gosh, so-and-so suffered a season ending, whatever. But how much of those those things, because you've mentioned them a few times obliquely, like the RPO situation of JSN on the sidelines, have sort of played into some of these things that are getting blamed on Ryan Day being stubborn or tendencies or predictability and so on. I think it definitely has with the run game. And I, I think that's as simple as if running backs aren't healthy, they're not practicing. And the only way you improve your vision and you get better at those things, like knowing when to cut back a zone play, when to bounce it outside, when to just hit the hole. The only time you can get better at that thing is in practice. And if you're dinged up and the only time you're actually touching the football is on Saturdays, this is what's going to happen. And so I think there's definitely a factor here that the running backs continuing to have these nagging injuries, which is clearly what's happening. You know, Henderson's been dealing with this foot injury for a month now. Um, you know, Williams has had a couple of different injuries at this point. Yeah, this is, this is kind of unfortunately how it goes. And there's not a lot you can do about it. Again, I think the Matt Jones injury, when he got digged up, he's played through it. And, you know, if, if it's a question of, are you injured or are you hurt? Maybe he's just hurt and you can play through that but he's clearly not a hundred percent. And that is, that is a factor. Um, you know, I think at this point, the person who I think injury wise, you have to just pray continues to stay totally healthy is 18 because that dude's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, true. I think if, if that was, if this was Michigan on Saturday, I, I think you're seeing 20 targets and, you know, you're, you're literally going to see 20 targets for Marvin Harrison because they're going to say, no matter what else, we don't think that they can cover him. And we're just going to throw slants and hitches and whatever, and we're going to scheme it up so that we get one-on-one, -on -one, and we're going to win that one-on-one, -on -one, even if we're just throwing the ball eight yards downfield every time. That's the dude who wins. And he's he is – you know, he's the the trump card for this offense. I'm glad you mentioned him because I did want to ask you know, one one thing about the receivers. You know, we I think it's easy to just kind of dismiss the fact that maybe Ohio State shouldn't have been throwing the ball at all on Saturday as as windy as it was, 45 mile an hour gusts. I think were reported, and and maybe above that, obviously, you mentioned the tree getting blown out of the ground next to your place. But Harrison was the only one who looked like he could catch anything. Everybody else seemed to have. You know, I said feet for hands or somebody called it stone hands uh, is, I mean, how, how many drops did you see out there that were balls that should have been caught? Or do you say, God, when it's that windy and rainy, it doesn't matter if they're hitting you right in the numbers, they're a bear to catch. Well, I mean, I think it only, it only really rained. And this is, this is my on the ground reporting here, having been there. Um, it really only rained for short periods of the time. I think, the second quarter really picked up and um, 
you know, got bad at, at some point. They were at, at certain points in the second quarter, they were giving us evacuation instructions because they thought the storm that was blowing yeah. in was going to be that bad. Um, but it was, it was more of the wind. And so whether that was, they were having trouble tracking it, if they were just, you know, cold, there was a, a certain point in the second quarter where I, I noticed, um, you know, all of the skill players took their gloves off. I, I don't necessarily know why, uh, but clearly like something was, whether that was mental or what, they just weren't right. And, you know, I, I think there were a couple plays that looked like drops that maybe a Northwestern guy got a finger in there and, and just affected it enough. I think there was one to Ibuka that would have been a big gain. And, you know, the DB made a really nice play to, I think, just get a just enough on it to, to at the last second to disrupt it. But yeah, I mean, you know, I couldn't have been the only person who kept going. Can we, can we retire the farmer Gronk nickname here? <laughs> he, I mean, look, I don't want to disparage it, but like that was not a game that he's probably going to want on his NFL scouting report yeah. <laughs> in both phases. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, can I, so this is a little off topic, but I've, I've been thinking about this, yeah, because especially, it. especially at this point in the season, and we've seen a decent amount in Ohio State's played a decent amount and all that good stuff. What is so far like your favorite, like play call? I don't mean necessarily in terms of execution, but just like, what is your favorite play call of the season that you've seen? <laughs> so I think with this team, it, so it's not, there's not like one play that can be like, Oh, there's a third and 12 against uh Rutgers where they did blah, blah, blah. Cause I, frankly, this, I haven't studied it enough. I buy the weird thing is by April, I'll be able to tell you because that's when I'll get all the all 22 and right. Right. Spend my winters inside. Cause I have a, a lot of friends and, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the thing that I like watching that, that gives me the most joy when I watch this team play is when and it's, this has been the case for a couple of years now, but when they can complete that deep comeback down the sideline, Fields was great at it. You know, I think Olave and, and Wilson made it an art form. Marvin might be better than both of them at those. At those, you know, where it just I'm going to run downfield. If the corner is playing inside or on top of me, meaning he's deeper than I am, I'm going to break it off and run a curl. I'm going to run a, a deep comeback. And, you know, you see these, these corners that they're so afraid of getting toasted by the receiver that they give them such a huge cushion. And, you know, when that ball, and you see someone like Marvin, especially, it's almost like he can stop on a dime, turn all, all the way around and the ball hits him right in the numbers, or at least he makes it look like it's hitting him right in the numbers. It's like, it's like Madden, you know, when, you know, when the ball just seems to be magnetized and it's just you know, <laughs> right. the receiver moves <laughs> to the ball. That's to me, because that's so hard. Like it's a simple thing and it <laughs> seems really simple. It's so hard. Like somebody who's like saying, no way, go out, find a buddy, make him line up 30 yards away from you, run 15 yards. And then even without a pass rush or anything, you just stand there and try to put it on his numbers or you try to run the route and try to run it with that precision, you know, like just put a cone down you know, and make sure that you've got this one yard area. To me, that is just gorgeous. And that's one of the things that I think separates this offense and this program from other college teams. You don't see that elsewhere. Tennessee could do it a little bit. Um, I, I think they they run some of that, especially since, you know, Heupel's got them running, which is essentially Art Bryles' system 
um, back in the Baylor days that RG three put up, you know, and a bunch of other guys put up crazy numbers. Um, but they're really the only other team that competes at a high level that can run those kind of routes that can complete them regularly, but nobody does it like Ohio state. And I think that's, that's the special thing that every time I see it, I just kind of go, I, ooh and no, I appreciate that answer because that's that's exactly what I was looking for. What what brings you the most joy? And that's that's fantastic. I appreciate that. Now I want to shift gears to the defensive side of the ball for a minute. We we touched on maybe tacitly uh, a little bit earlier. You you did mention um, earlier that, or maybe Johnny did. One of you stuck into my mind that Northwestern outgained Ohio State in terms of total yardage, and yet the defense held them to just seven points. Northwestern not a great offense by any stretch of the imagination. So let's go bigger picture through nine games now. How are you feeling about? the Jim Knowles era of Ohio state defensive football. I think it's great. I am a big fan. I'm a believer. Um, you know, I think the question everyone's had is, you know, can you be, can you be physical? Can you be the team that can match a, essentially a Michigan is it really is the team everyone's most afraid of, right. Yeah. Especially given last year, can you be as physical as them? I think these last three weeks, we we've seen them answer the bell. And the answer is yes, because these three teams, regardless of their talent, regardless of their scheme, they all hit you in the mouth, man. (laughs) And that game on Saturday was, it was, it had to be physical. And I think it was good. It was a good test, even if it wasn't against the best competition to say to that defense, Hey, we know that they're going to run the ball every play. They know that we know that. And this game is just going to come down to us making more tackles, being more physical and winning the line of scrimmage. And they did, you know, I, I don't think they're going to see Ohio State's going to see another team essentially run the single wing for half the game, which is really what Northwestern did. And they did it pretty well. You know, I kept thinking to myself, okay, so every week Ohio State gets the, the special game plan they get the opponent's best shot. They get the crazy stuff. They don't run against everyone else. Right. We talked about it after the Rutgers game, you know, how Shiano does all that crazy. And he, you know, he had a bunch of gizmos and gadget plays for Ohio state. Like this is not picking on them, but like nobody's running that stuff against Indiana. Like no one's, no one's doing that against Maryland. They do it against Ohio state. So Ohio state might have a game plan based on what they see on film, but a lot of time they've got to adjust on the fly and you saw that, you know, some of that single wing, direct snap, wildcat, whatever you want to call it, seemed to catch Ohio State a little bit off guard, um, especially because these weren't just like running the same play over and over again. They had all kinds of pulling guards. And, you know, this was like a, a real full, you know, package. It wasn't just one or two plays. And it was it was giving Ohio State some trouble in terms of staying, you know, gap sound. Uh, one of the changes they made when they had to was you saw Lathan Ransom take a seat on the bench for most of the second half because Josh Proctor's a better fit for those type of schemes. And that's a good thing to learn. You want to learn that stuff now, not in the second half against Michigan or in the CFP. And so I think that, you know, where, where this defense is, I'm much more confident actually with what they can be because of kind of these struggles that they've had, they've had to put it on the back of this run D in a lot of situations and they've answered the bell. Now, Michigan's run game is better than any of the run games that Ohio State's faced. I will say that. Michigan is more consistent than any of the teams that Ohio State has faced. That's for sure. And they will be the biggest test 
for this defense. There's no if, ands, or buts about that. But I don't think that as an Ohio State fan, you could expect much more than what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, I mean, just the numbers themselves are kind of mind-boggling. Like, I don't, I mean, it's, sometimes it does, I think, um, make a lot of sense to try to put it in perspective. And even not just, I, I know people are like, well, Trestle didn't go, well, okay, that's, that's a millennium ago. <laughs> But even even <laughs> if you think about like I was looking at some of the stats towards the end of the Urban Meyer tenure, you know, even before Ryan Day kind of had such a big hand in, in the offense. And it's like even, you know, ostensibly really like, quote unquote, revolutionary offenses at one point can become static and moribund mm-hmm. and not not as impactful. And the fact that Ohio state under Ryan day has been so consistently good. I mean, that's, I think one of the things that really bothers me, like we can, like you said, we can pick nits and and I think part of it is because the standard is so high that we do that. And I mentioned yep. a little bit before you came on that, like, I mean, it's a wide open field right now. If Ohio state clicks on all cylinders, I think they're a prohibitive favorite for a national mm-hmm. championship just because they're so good in all facets of the game. Um, and so that's what you want to see. And that's why people complain. But one of the things that really bothers me about the criticism of Ryan day, and particularly from like other fan bases where they're like making me like, Oh, you're on third or whatever. Like this guy's really good at his job. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I think just, I don't think people always appreciate that. Uh, Cause that kind of creativity. I mean, yes, Ohio state has been very successful offensively, you know, at times and, and, even, you know, consistently, uh, you know, through the Urban Meyer era, but like, I don't think in quite this way and, and maybe this like modern of an offense. And it's just really interesting to watch. And I'm glad that you're here. Really glad that you're with us at 11 Warriors to help us understand that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the reality is, is one, the standard's so high, as you said, and, you know, part of that is just, this is Ohio state, you know, I'll shout it from the mountaintops. Ohio State's never been bad. You know, like we, someone's, oh, but 2011 was bad. Like, oh, there were a couple years under at the end of Cooper. Like, go historically look. Like, there are children that I understand that are people in their, their 30s even, or, you know, who, you know, in their 20s, who Alabama's been good for essentially most of their lives. We're old enough to remember when Alabama stunk. Alabama yeah. was awful when we were in college. They were a joke. They, you know, they made his Texas back look good. You know, like this was, this was moribund. Like Tennessee, all of these programs have had legit long dips. Ohio State's never had that. And so that's, that definitely speaks to the standard that the the people around the program that follow the program expect for sure. But it's also, I think, a a product, and this is a great off-season topic to be totally honest with you, but I'm glad you brought it up, is that I think this is Ryan Day hasn't won a national championship yet. So we still need him to quote unquote prove himself. You know, he's a first time head coach. He's never won a title before. You know, how much of this is, you know, some people make the Larry Coker jokes, which I could not disagree with more. Yeah. Um, You know, we're in year five of Ryan day by year two, the wheels had fallen off the Larry Coker bus. So, you know, let's, let's keep that in perspective. And you know, I, I think there's just an element of, you know, if he can't, if he's not perfect every game, people are starting to nitpick and wonder. And if we remember during the urban era, how many stinkers did we have to sit through in the urban era? Yeah, you know, games that were won, but they were miserable to watch. And we were doing this thing that we're doing today. 
you know, once a month. Well, yeah, not, yet, only, not be, only that, but they've yet to throw uh, 55 to 20 something. That's right. At Iowa, or 49 right, to 20 exactly. something at Purdue. That, you know, that came up earlier today on the of the board. Somebody, uh, you know, would raise the question about, boy, you know, how soon four days in the hot seat. And I'm like, you know, call me. And the comparison was made to Urban Meyer. And I said, call me when. We see yeah. an Iowa loss when we see a Purdue loss. Like we, I mean, Urban Meyer was good for one of those a season. It felt like there in the yep. latter three or four years of his tenure. Yep. Well, I think people are going to say, but Oregon, but Michigan. But those are good those teams. Are not, the, thank you. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. Those are not right. the same thing. Those are not the same thing. And that's but two Iowa regular teams. season losses in five years. Like, what are we talking right. about? For sure. So, yeah, I, I think. This is chasing perfection, and that's why we're coming here after a 14-point win and going, oh, is the sky falling? You know, like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's part of how this goes, man. You know, I, here's, go ask Georgia fans what it was like after that Mizzou stinker. You know, I think they, they had a tough couple weeks there, and now here they are a month later. Oh, odds on favorite, best team in the country. No, no questions asked, hands down, best mm -hmm. you can find. And, you know, it's just how this works in hindsight. We're not even going to remember this game in this conversation. We'll be like, oh, yeah, remember that game with all the wind at Northwestern? Yeah, that was funny. But Ohio State did blank, right? right. Like that's. Nobody that's talks about the Indiana game in 2014. Right. Like, exactly. Ugh. And I was at that Ugh. game and nobody should talk about it because it was garbage. <laughs> and nobody should remember it. <laughs> But they don't because they, they won the national championship. I mean, hell, in 2002, yeah. this was every game, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> right. The Illinois game in 2002 set the sport backward, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, that – and look, we talk about – because that's what makes it fun. The, you need the lows to, so the highs feel higher, right? That's kind of how it goes. But, you know, anybody who acts like this, you know, this is going to be 100 to nothing every week. We talk about this every time I come on. You know, that's, I understand that's the, that's the standard that people are going for. And, and that's the expectation. I'm sure the players know it, the, the coaches certainly know it. So, you know, if anybody's going to feel a sense of urgency to get it fixed, I promise you, it's not us. It's the people <laughs> inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Uh, well, let's ask you one last question before we turn you loose, Professor. If you had to call it today, your playoff four and who wins it all. So I am going to say that I think Georgia gets in. I think we've they, their path to the SEC title game is pretty much set. Um, you know, I don't think that we are. I mean, actually, I don't know. The SEC West could work out that Alabama's not there. But either way, I don't think whether it's LSU, whoever it is is going to be much more than, um, you know, a bug on the windshield for Georgia in, in Atlanta. So I think you can pretty well pencil them in as the number one team. Um, their pass defense, by the way, they're the, they're the only unit that I think could, could really give Ohio State's pass game at full strength in normal conditions. They're the only pass defense that I think could really give C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison, a healthy JSN, et cetera, some problems. Keely Ringo is ridiculous just ridiculous and that pick that he had last week was out of this world and if you don't know what i'm talking about go google it right now keely ringo interception tennessee he ran the route better than the receiver did <laughs> just 
Just watch it. Anyway, so I think Georgia's safe there. Um, I don't think that we're at, in, you know, living in reality, I don't think we're in a place where both Ohio State and Michigan get it. I think we're going to be in a place where if Ohio State loses that game, it's going to be, well, all of the fears came to roost, and this is the same team it was last year. They didn't get any better. They can't stop the run. They can't do blank because if they lose, that's what it's going to be. They couldn't be more physical. They don't deserve a spot. Go enjoy New Year's Six game X where you, you know, the Rose Bowl all over again. Um, nice consolation, but not what Ohio State fans want at this point. So I think you have the winner of Ohio State, Michigan. And if Ohio, and if Michigan loses that game, I just don't, I, I think they're going to, you're going to see the same response. Um, you know, Michigan's performance in last year's playoff is going to hurt them and people are going to hold that back. And, and their schedule's not terribly strong no, either, right? No. Ohio, Ohio State is going to be the only good team they play all season long. Right. And hey, how about that Notre Dame victory? Helping that old strength of schedule. Looking better That's all right. the time. You know, it's a quality win. It's a quality win against a quality <laughs> opponent. I love that because it's bad, then it's good. Then it's bad. Then it's, you know, you, you break me back in. I was helping. You break me back <laughs> exactly. in. Exactly. You know what? I think we're all big Marcus Freeman supporters again. He's yes. running a great program yes. out there. <laughs> so they're going to lose I, against I, Navy, and it's going to be the most <laughs> annoying thing in the history God. of the universe. Yeah, that's what it's going to come down to, right? It's like, oh, you know, you can't root against Navy. That's terrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't believe TCU can keep this going. I think they're a really fun team. I think they're a great offense. I think their offense is is up there with Ohio State and Tennessee in terms of quality um but their defense is not good it's just not good and they've had some luck lucky breaks along the way that happens you need lucky breaks certainly um but i just have trouble i think the big 12 is a really quality league if you haven't paid attention to the big 12 watch some big 12 football it's really good it's not the past happy stuff that you're stereotyping it to be from seven eight years ago it's high quality there's a lot of good teams. It's probably the best conference top to bottom in the, in the country, um, which means I don't believe that TCU can make it through undefeated. If they do, great. They deserve it. I just don't see it happening. And so that leaves us with, you know, who, who are we, who's there? I think Oregon is going to make a really compelling case. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Oregon in the CFP. Frankly, they are dominating people. Bo Nix is going to be in New York, which is not a thing I thought I'd say. <laughs> ever um but he's <laughs> playing his butt off um i think you know whichever of the la teams plays them in the pac title game is going to get a mouthful and you know it's going to be the ducks quacking quacking away um and so i think that then opens the door unfortunately for a second sec team i knew you were going to say it i knew you were going to say it Ah, I, I thought, I now, thought with Alabama out of the picture, that, oh, it's not going to be them. I said, I when I thought with Alabama no, out of the picture, we have buried the opportunity for there to be two in because it was always going to be Alabama and someone else. And hey, Alabama's gonna be, gone, you know so it's, it's just going to be one. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be Ole Miss. Is that? <laughs> uh, no, I think Brian be. Brian Kelly and his family are yeah, going to be making a trip to the, <laughs> right. to the CFP. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think that, that I think is a real, a real option. Ole Miss could make it for sure. Tennessee, if they just continue to just dominate people yeah. and it turns into a, well, you know, they got smacked around by Georgia and that was about it. And they beat Bama and they, 
beat these other teams. Don't pay attention to the fact that they went to overtime against Pitt. You know, let's try not to talk about that. Uh, you know, they could make a case, but I think this is going to be actually a year. Normally we're so sick of the CFP. I actually think this is going to be a year where it's fun because there's going to be a lot of chaos still, and it's going to move a lot. And it's not just going to be, Oh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, and Georgia. You know, it's going to be a number of teams that are really in it with a number of one loss teams that really can make a compelling case. Yeah. You feel like you have a lot more options this year, a a lot more, there are a lot more scenarios that could play out than we've had in quite a few years. Yeah. And they're different. That's the fun part is like, they're, they're really all different teams, both like on and off the field. Like the Oregon story, they're, they're fun to watch, man. Like, Yes, they they're running the same Alabama Georgia defense, but offensively they're basically running like some weird version of Gus Malzahn's offense. Like it's, <laughs> it's and Bo, Bo Nix is like legit good. Like which again didn't think I'd say they're fun to watch. Tennessee, you can hate their fan base, which a lot of people do, but when their offense is humming, it's awesome. Like they are absolutely awesome. Same with Ole Miss. Same with TCU. So like there's a lot of different flavors. And if you're, you know, you're a big 10 first, you know, guy, Michigan's the total opposite of that. And, you know, LSU is this weirdly competent thing with a quarterback who does everything for them, even though he was terrible at his previous school. Like, again, just lots of fun, lots of difference, like a lot of different flavors to choose from this year. It's interesting what happens when Alabama isn't in the, uh, isn't in the picture as much. I know. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. I really think that's a huge part of it is that you had Nick Saban sitting on the chest of college football for a really long time. And now it's not happening this season. And you kind of, you get to see some of these other schools, you know, kind of let their freak flags fly. And uh, I appreciate that. I like that a lot. That, Cause that's and what you know college football is all about. And you know, what's the most crazy thing about all that is Alabama has the number one pick and Will Anderson. Yep. And they have the best quarterback that Nick's ever had there. Yep. I mean, and they can't get it. And they, and they're so unbelievably, unbelievably disjointed. And I mean, you saw, I mean, shoot, you just watched that LSU game, like the amount of penalties they've racked up all season. Um, yeah. Not being able to get the right personnel in the most critical part of the game <laughs> twice, <laughs> like makes no sense. And you've got a dude yep. who was an NFL head coach being, you know, coaching your defense. Like it just, it, it boggles the mind what's going on down there. Yeah. It's, it's And they're still very good. I'm not like, you know, it's not yeah. like the, they're completely terrible or anything like that, but it's just, no. the standard is not where it's been. No. And you know, Bryce young is, he is him, man. Like, I don't think his NFL future is quite as bright as it could be given how small he is. And I just, you know, we've already seen it with Tua and, and all those things, but, Man, he he just makes some throws. I really I thought for sure that they were going to win that game, and it was going to be another. Well, Bryce Young bailed him out, right? You know, just did it because he's he's special. And I know people don't listen to this podcast to hear me wax poetic about Alabama quarterbacks. So <laughs> yes, they do. Don't sell you so short. Um, <laughs> we have a no, they listen. They listen to hear you wax poetic about Brian Kelly making ballsy choices, uh, oh. going for two. Which again, sick. And that's what I'm saying, man. Like that's, that's the fun part of college football. So I, yep. I really, I mean, all of this is predicated on Alabama losing and I'm glad it happened. And yep. uh, I know that's how people feel about Ohio state, but yep. Ohio state hasn't won like a billion championships in the last decade. So nope, just one. Shut up. 
How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm agreed. Agreed. Well, this was great. Professor Kyle Jones, thanks for joining us on the Dubcast as always. Look forward to having you back and uh, look forward to the film study each week for helping us, uh, you know, maybe come down off the ledge of some of these uh, passionate knee-jerk reactions following a game like Saturdays. Appreciate you being here on the 11 Dubcast. You got it, guys. Appreciate it. Remember, watch for the hands. Are they inside? That's all you got to know. There you great, go. Great advice. I love it. The the, the goat <laughs> of film study authors. Johnny, it is uh, time to move on to our favorite segment of the program, Ask Us Anything, which is also a good reminder to folks that the Dubcast is brought to you by the Bet Jack Parlay on the 11 Dubcast. The uh, Bet Jack Parlay, of course, brought to you by Bet Jack Ohio Sportsbook, which is giving away two tickets to the Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday, November 26th plus a one-night stay in Columbus, the greatest city on earth. For more details on how to enter, visit betjack.com or download the mobile app, which I did last week, to put in our picks for the BetJack parlay on the 11 Dubcast. BetJack, the only sports book designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. All right, so, Johnny, I have to admit, my picks in the BetJack parlay last week didn't go quite according to plan. Yeah, I'll be dumb too. I very wisely picked Georgia over Tennessee. The The analytics served me well there, as did my, my eyeballs. Uh, but I fully expected Ohio State to cover. I did not expect uh, a storm of biblical proportions in the Windy City. It was, you know what? I didn't, even if I had known about it, I don't think it would have mattered. That's, that was the, my big failing. I I I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to, yeah, Northwestern was that bad. Ohio State's that good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I, Honestly, just did not study up enough on we should have taken what we should have done is instead of uh just taking the over under, we should have had that we should have had the over under instead of the uh, the spread on that particular bet. That would have been a that would have been a more interesting pick. But let's look at this week's parlay. What do you have? Uh what games are we taking a look at this week? So it's not quite as crazy as it was last week in terms of like marquee games. However, I do think there's a lot of interesting action going on this uh, coming weekend. And I want to start, we're going to do two LS or two uh, SEC games. We're going to start with uh, LSU and Arkansas. And look right now, LSU is a three point favorite on Arkansas, right? I, how do you feel about that spread? Because I got to tell you something. (laughs) I, I feel like, you're, I would hammer LSU on that one. Yeah, I, I was going to say after after what they just did, um, I yeah, that feels like free money. Now, you know, and, and I don't think I mean Arkansas didn't have a a huge weekend either. So, no. um, I yeah, I'm definitely I think going with uh, going to go with. It feels bad because I hate Brian Kelly. I know you do as well. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with the Tigers. I'm going to go with the you know new orleans spelling go tigers yeah i just i'm 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 shocked that that's where the line and maybe kenny guyton magic maybe vegas knows something that we don't i don't know but anyway i just thought that was interesting the other lsu game here uh i so bama 12 point favorites on ole miss this is one that i'm really so here's the deal in normal circumstances this is absolutely a game that a Nick Saban team would come out with their hair on fire and win by 500 points, right? Like they would be furious. They would come out ready to prove something, Mm -hmm. but I think there are two things going on here. First of all, I think Bama snake bit this season. Secondly, they're not going to be able to play themselves back into the, uh, the, the college football playoff. That's, that's pretty much done at this point for them. I mean, they theoretically could, I just don't see that happening. Uh, so weird stuff could happen. And honestly, 
like this is the kind of game that a guy like Lane Kiffin lives for. Like that is, I mean, this is what gets him up in the morning. So I, I don't know. I would honestly, I don't know that I would take Ole Miss outright, but maybe the points, honestly. Uh, looking at SP plus, because I always want to just check the date and make sure that I'm not like going crazy here on a neutral field would give Alabama a nine and a half point advantage. What's the current line? Uh, 11 and a half, 12. 11 and a half. You, yeah. See here. I, I would say I'm, yeah, I'm going to go with Ole Miss on this one. Yeah. Um, maybe not again, not necessarily to win yeah, outright, but that's right. Is... That's right. I think Kiffykins, yeah, he eats this up. This is like troll lord stuff for him. Oh my god! And and while I am firmly in the camp that Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time, and I and I don't think that's a controversial statement. Oh, he could lose every game until he retires. Yeah, I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, but this is a situation he doesn't find himself in that often where his team's out of it this early in the season. So how yeah. how does he keep them motivated, engaged, and 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 so on? Uh, you know, this could end up being one of his best coaching um feats ever if he gets them back on track, wins out and goes and like wins a uh, you know a New Year's six bowl game or something along those lines. But but uh, this is one where I'm I'm gonna go that Ole Miss will yeah, and it's will, it's will, in oxford yeah. too that's the other yeah, thing. yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. there's a lot Bama, of voodoo Bama going definitely does not cover now. this one yep yeah uh tcu in texas tcu is uh not the betting favorite on this well so, and again according to the data by a touchdown. Really interesting uh, yeah after week 10 um Connolly has texas as like a point and a half favorite yeah well two almost two and a half point favorite over over TCU here. And this is one of those things interesting. We were talking about Dr. Jones a, a minute ago about TCU, you know, that hey, they're they're fun to watch. It's, it's kind of an interesting offense. Yeah. Uh, but that's you fair, don't expect but... like, don't expect them to win out. Yeah. Okay. But that's fair. But I gotta tell you something, man. I, I don't trust Texas at all. No, I, no. I really don't. And and not just because Texas is Texas, but because even Quinn Ewers, who I am rooting for, I want him to be good. I want him to be successful. Yeah, I <laughs> well, I you know regardless I'm the dude's bitter, been very a, up and down i'm, I'm, a, I'm a jilted ex-girlfriend i can't yeah, help it and that's fine it, but you know what like the thing is i guess what i'm saying is, is that this is a neutral perspective on his performance this season mm. he's not been great he, he's been good and he's been very good occasionally um but he's definitely had some good games some bad games and i don't know i i am a little surprised at that um i would have thought that either it would be closer than that or tcu would be a favorite so i'm i'm kind of surprised there and I would go with TCU on that one. Frankly. Let me give you the let me give you the tail of the tape here. TCU has the number five offense in the country in terms of offensive efficiency. Texas, number eleven defense. On the other hand, Texas has a number twenty one defense to TCU's number forty seven defense. This is a season where we're seeing the better defenses slow down these high power offenses. We just saw mm -hmm. it with Georgia, Tennessee. You know, we talked about uh, what we're what we're expecting to see. Uh, well, you know, what, what's the conversation we've been having about Ohio State, Michigan? You know, do we think that Ohio State's offense is enough better than Michigan's defense, than Michigan's uh, offense is better than Ohio State's defense and so on? So here's a case where I, I, I think Texas's defense is going to slow down this high-powered uh, TCU offense. However, um, uh, that TCU offense is, is really good, but Texas's offense is good enough. I think to yeah. overcome it. So this is one probably where I'm going to go with, and it pains me to say this, I'm going to go with the horns. 
Okay, that's that's going to be a really interesting game. That's that's another one to to really definitely pay attention to. And then last one, I just thought this was funny. Um, uh, Wisconsin and Iowa have basically like an e- they're basically even. Uh, I think Wisconsin right now is around a one one and a half point favorite. Over under is thirty six points. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and... <laughs> set your DVRs, folks. Yeah, this it's is gonna because, be, it's gonna because be you're looking burn. at Iowa with the number two defense, but the number 99 offense, <laughs> Wisconsin, the number 14 defense, the number 54 offense. Uh, in other words, neither one of these teams is setting the world on fire offensively, uh, and they're both pretty stout <laughs> defensively. So, yeah, gosh, 36, I'm really hoping huh? for here's what I want. And honestly, like, I don't I don't I couldn't. I like to think if about I'm gonna how put it, I'm going to give here. Iowa just because they're weird and goofy and who knows, maybe they'll, they'll pull it out, but I'm really hoping for like a sub 10 point performance from both teams. That's, that's kind of what I'm rooting for on this. Yeah. One. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, and look, it's, you know, 36 is the over, I, I think I would take the under on this. Like if I look yeah, Wisconsin, not? Wisconsin, if I look at their, cause they're the ones that are going to have to score here. We know it's not going to be Iowa, although they did, they did just throw out. Uh, some crazy point total here last weekend, I guess. You know, Wisconsin did score 42 on Northwestern. God, that hurts. Uh, you know, otherwise, 35, 28, 35. I mean, they they are scoring some points. They were here's probably the best comparison. Illinois, Wisconsin um went to went to 44 because Wisconsin scored 10, Illinois scored 34. So that may be the best avatar for this game. Um <laughs> defensively in terms of how much yeah. Wisconsin might score. Illinois held Wisconsin to 10. So Iowa can probably do that. Uh but Wisconsin can score. Man, this is tough. I want to take <laughs> I want to take the under but 36 is small. Uh, 36 is small. I'm I'm going to take small. the under. I'm going to take the under. All right, do it. Good, good. Live I'm, I'm on the good. edge. Yeah. So that's that's what we got. You know what? Some it, maybe not as big marquee matchups this coming weekend, but I think some very interesting games that uh, that are coming down the pike. And and of course, in addition to Ohio State. Um, but yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks again for uh, for giving us your your betting lines there, Andy. We're we're sure gonna. I I know that people can can quote make money on Bet Jack and and do some things that uh, will be beneficial for them in the long run and hopefully in the new year as well. All right. Bet Jack, uh, the only sports book by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans go down below the app, or uh, you can register to win those Ohio state Michigan tickets at betjack.com. off to the mailbag. Johnny, what do we have from the fans this week? All right, let's do some, uh, ask us anything here. And as a reminder, you can send us questions to dubcast at 11 warriors.com. Uh, basically ask us anything because that's that's what it's called and and we like uh, answering all of your amazing ridiculous questions all right so let's start out here with uh kevin uh was the weather uh was that the weather or ohio state looking past northwestern what do you think yeah i don't think they were looking i mean i don't think they were looking past them uh in the way people think about it do i think they were like super jacked up about playing an 11 a.m game <laughs> no <laughs> in god-awful conditions against a terrible football team like i don't know how you get up for that matchup to play a one and seven team before lunch <laughs> you know in miserable conditions i just don't know how you get jacked up for that game so yeah, i agree now that said, like I think that people go around and doing this deep analysis on given players' body language on the sidelines, like now get over yourself. Like that's 
that's trash. And I, and I think a lot of us, like we do this old man yells at cloud thing. We're like, well, when I played, you know, coach so-and-so would have kicked my ass if I'd have done that doing the sidelines and yeah, you know, come on. Like, yes, I get it. That generally speaking, those of us of a certain age want this generation's players to, you know, man up and uh, not be these, you know, divas and this and that and the other thing. Like I saw somebody in the comments earlier talking about the wide receivers being divas or something along those lines. I'm like, what are you even talking about? So (laughs) I, I just think uh, we need to stop projecting that crap on players. I I do think the weather, you know, played a huge role. You heard Ryan day talk about it, you know, in all his years of coaching, he's never seen anything quite like that. And uh, while we say, Hey, you know, this, this is the big 10, you need to be able to play in these conditions and so on. There's a reason these NFL teams up here want to play in domes, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's a reason that they build domes in the north. And that Saturday is why. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a big part of the reason why. So it is what it is. I don't think they were looking past them. I just don't think they necessarily took them as an existential threat. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, okay, so let's uh let's I, I appreciate this here. So on previous dubcast, this is from Bryant, by the way. Andy made a comment about the Big Ten doing relegation like European soccer. Which three teams would you relegate from the Big Ten this season? And which three non-power five teams would you like to see promoted? Now, see, there's the tougher part of the question because it's easy enough to just be like, well, you're gonna relegate the bottom five, and uh yeah. and, and you know to think about Wait, it, you bring it up. So that's the harder part of the question is well, I, I don't know that I have great answers for who I'm going to bring up because I, I, I the think of here's the thing, see- though, like some of these teams still like, OK, all right. Well, Neon Dion at Jackson State has them freaking rolling, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an undefeated team right there that has looked pretty good and is scoring a billion points. I think that's a pretty good candidate. I mean, everybody talks about South Dakota State down there. DAA, you know, there. I think that's a really good candidate. Uh, the Jackrabbits going up there and, and and moving up a little bit. So I, I think there are some teams that occasionally you, you see them make noise at the beginning of the season because they'll play, you know, uh, an FBS team and win, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, what the hell? And then you actually kind of hear about them from time to time. And I also think that. Um, you know, Sanders, Deion Sanders uh, being who he is helps a lot. But um, I don't know. Holy Cross, 9-0. Come on, look at these stats. Let's go. Well, I, I was just looking here to see, you know, among, and I just used ESPN's FPI as a, a generic ranking. Sure. Um, you know, UCF looks like is about the highest ranked of the group of five conferences. So, all right, that's an interesting team. Let's let's bring them up. Um, let's see, UC. Hey, oh wait, they're joining a conference, so you well, can't, right, yeah. can't can't pull them up. But that would have been a sexy pick here a year or so ago. Uh, Tulane, eight and one. Tulane. Hey, there okay. we go. They're, they're all, yeah, and that's all, and that's within the FBS. I was pulling up from the SCS. I mean, oh, see, I'm, yeah. I'm looking here and say like these. But no, are that's that's a valid point because like, these are group of five teams. The five teams. You know, yeah. Why? Why not? Right. Why not bring up some of these group of five guys? That's Good what point. we're really talking about is the between the haves and the have-nots, right? Right. Is, uh, you that that's why you have UC going into the Big Twelve of all places because they right. want to get into a into a Power Five conference. So yeah, you're going to look at uh, East Carolina. You're going to look at uh, you're going to look at you would have looked at Cincinnati. You're going to look at UCF. UCF to me is a big that that actually, if I were doing conference expansion, might legitimately look at UCF. 
yeah. uh, as a team that you might want to invite to your, are they joining a conference? That they seem like somebody... this everybody's trying to join a conference. Well, you know that's I mean? why I'm like, maybe I missed a memo in there somewhere. Right. Um, you know, and who I would drop from the big 10. I mean, <laughs> last, last weekend's performance aside, Northwestern is unfortunately there. Not that I think it's a permanent thing. And I think, uh, you know, Fitzgerald has shown that. Oh, UCF is joining the big 12 too. So there, yeah, you, there go. you go. The big 12 is getting all of the conference, all of the teams that right, right. pulled up in relegation. So that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but I think Northwestern. <laughs> so, so I was right. Yeah. Yeah. The so, teams, yeah, you're right. yes, the teams exactly. that a real power five it. conference wanted were the teams I would have pulled up in relegation. Perfect. There we go. Brilliant. Um, and you know what? Look, I think Pat Fitzgerald is generally a pretty good coach. And I think this season's kind of an aberration, but Northwestern's going to be dropped. Um, same with Nebraska. Sorry. Like you're just, you're not good teams. And then uh, Indiana's it's been a long time coming guys. Sorry. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. one in five in conference. Uh, Rutgers, you're lucky that you got some early season. Yeah, I was going to uh, say Rutgers also Rutgers. one in five in conference, yeah. but they at least are almost to 500. That's right. <laughs> they're not going to get to 500. I don't. No, they're not. But, uh, you know, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's that. I think that's an excellent question. And honestly, I mean, you know, that would be. It would definitely. It would never happen, but it would definitely, I think, bring a lot of drama and excitement to uh, to college football as a whole. Um, last one here. This is from our uh, good friend Alvin, who simply wants to know what songs are on your road trip playlist. I have a few different playlists that I I cycle through. Uh, one I just call Country Goodness, and it's all my it's all my favorite songs from like. So actually, Sirius XM has a channel that they call Prime Country, and that that is basically the music I grew up with: eighties and nineties country, like real good stuff, like George Strait in his heyday. Um, so that's like that whole playlist plus like classic Johnny Cash a little bit, but not a ton of Willie Nelson, uh, like the Highwaymen with Chris Christopherson, a couple, couple songs off of, of their album. I got a few from like Merle Haggard, um, and Waylon Jennings there in there that I like, uh, but it's mostly like eighties and nineties. So like George Strait, Garth Brooks, that sort of thing. That's one playlist. I play that that's probably my default road trip playlist when I'm the only one in the car. Now the stunning Mrs. Vance and the little tiger in the car, I have another playlist that actually I set up for when I was working out and that's more like classic rock. Um, and, and and I say classic rock and I, I draw a pretty broad draft on that because I like everything from Bob Seger and the silver bullets to ACDC to, uh, Bon Jovi and Def Leppard to Eagles like that. So it's a pretty broad slice of classic rock, um, in there. And, and that's, I mean, there's some newer stuff. I've got one playlist. I just call random listening and random listening is got like some fallout boy has got like, Oh, you know, some newer things, like if I hear, and I don't listen to a lot of top 40 right now, but if mm-hmm. I'm flip, flipping around, like there was that song that was on a, a little while ago on top 40 call, like uh, going out with something about going out with a bang. I don't even remember the name of the band, but I'll hear something like that has a really catchy backbeat in it. I might throw that on, um, you know, moves like Jagger, some of those kind of mm-hmm. like really, I don't know what you would say, fun poppy hits. So that's kind of more of my random listening playlist, I call it. So those are the three playlists that I kind of cycle through uh, on road trips. And it just depends. If it's just me, it's probably 90% country. If it's me and the girls, then it's probably more the classic rock and or the poppy stuff. 
Yeah, I you know, if I'm going on a long road trip, because we we make the trip down to southwestern Ohio fairly often. So I'll just I've got like all my music on my phone and I'll just hit put that on shuffle, right? And then just listen to whatever. Um, but if it's a longer one, I like albums, you know what I mean? Like there's certain yeah. albums that I'll just like listen all the way through. Like Paul's Boutique is probably my favorite album of all time. It's a Beastie Boys album from 1989, and it's their best, and it's incredible. And I've probably listened through it. I don't know how many hundreds of times, but I love it. And it, and, and I'll just go through the whole thing and it's great. Um, I'm a big rap fan and I like, I like the weird uh, early two thousands rap. You know what I mean? Like guys yeah. who were kind of like, like MF doom. I'm a huge MF doom fan, like really big MF doom fan. RIP to that dude. Um, uh, so mm, food is like one of my favorite albums of all time. And I'll just listen to that all the way through. Um uh, he did a Danger Doom uh, album as well. I'll listen to that all the way through. And, you know, like basically the stuff where I don't feel like I have to to skip a song. You know what I mean? Like I want to yeah. just be able to I want to be able to get into the vibe of an album and just go. So I've got a few albums, like I said, that I just kind of like Odelay by Beck. That's another one that I'm huge on. And I'll just listen to that all the way through. Uh, De La Soul's got an album called The Grind Date, and I love that album, and I'll just listen to it all the way through. So basically, like, I, I have, like, maybe five or six albums that I just, like, have on rotation that I, for a longer road trip, I'm just like, that's going to be on, and I'm not changing it. And, you know, because you like every every song. So that, that's what I would say. That would be on my uh, my road trip playlist for the longer hauls. Um, so, yeah, great questions this week. Thank you for sending those in, and uh, we'll keep answering them. All right, good stuff. Uh, we'll wrap this thing up. I I would say we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Ohio State opened its basketball season. Hooray! That was uh, big time. Robert Morris uh, at the Schottenstein Center on Monday night. Ohio State wins ninety one to fifty three. So that's good. We'll soon be at a place where we will start talking more about basketball. Ohio State also opened its wrestling season over the weekend, uh, taking eight championship titles at the Michigan State Open Tournament. Uh, dual meet action will start Friday when Ohio State hosts Virginia Tech. So that will be, uh, we'll have coverage of that, of course, at 11 Warriors as well. But uh, good wrestling weekend. Freshman Jesse Mendez was named the NCAA Wrestler of the Week after his win in the 133-pound tournament at uh, the Michigan State Open. So good stuff there. And you know what? Welcome back to Justice Suing. It's been a minute. We're glad to have you back, buddy. It's 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 good to see that dude back on the court and, and making shots and doing things. That's cool. Yeah, can't wait to see what this team actually looks like. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know that I have any idea what to expect, but I love basketball. I'm excited about it. And we'll keep you abreast of what's happening with the other revenue sport. All that coming up in future editions. Next week, we'll be here to talk about what happened in the Indiana game. Uh, until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. <laughs>